0: Hello, hello, hello! Welcome to another episode of SG Explain. We are back in the virtual studio. It's not Total Defense Day, but you know, I feel like it should be because we're doing a very historical episode and everyone's gonna feel very patriotic at the end of
1: the day <laughs> I'm excited this is one of my favourite characters from Singapore literary history I mean he's a real guy but you know like, I love his story
2: he is a, a Singapore hero but then when Elle says he's a character it's like mm.
1: No, he's a real guy and I and I love him and I, I'm grateful for his sacrifices.
0: Before we mention his name, actually, I think it's a good point that he brought up, right? Because when people think of historical characters in Singapore history, who do you think of? Like, who naturally comes to mind?
1: I think of Sang Yilau Utama, bro. I thought we are going to go a bit earlier and think of like Lee Kuan Yew. And of course, my man Lee Kuan Yew, he's he's one of the best already. He's the equivalent of Uncle Ho, you know, to us, like... Who's Uncle Ho? Ho Chi Minh, Ho Chi Minh. That's oh, why they exactly. affectionately name Ho Chi Minh in, in Vietnam. They call Uncle Ho.
2: You know who we don't talk about enough though? I mean, sidetrack before we mention this guy today. You guys know who William Fakwa is?
0: No, we've talked about William Fakwa. actually. Oh, is it
2: a, like an episode that you did?
0: When we did the whole Raffles episode, we talked about the fact that no, we should do a William Fakwa episode.
2: Oh, okay. Whatever then. It's not that special <laughs> anymore. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but on that note, I do have to say like Thanks to you guys, I feel like I'm way more well-read on Singapore's history and happenings, and this would not have been possible without your help. Actually,
1: just thank Rovic. I don't know much <laughs> about this stuff
0: still. Amongst the XG Explain community, I like to think of myself as the guy who the historian, who really loves, yeah, who really loves history and really loves like unpacking stories because I think stories like shape a lot of our, uh, you know, narratives and our understanding of who we are. And today's episode is going to be about Limbo Singh, right? So most of us, Woo! when we think of yeah, Mr. Lim, uh well, actually Major General Lim, when you hear his name, you think of social studies. His name mm. was mentioned, but his name was, I mean, I don't know if you guys had the same experience, but his name was just one paragraph of like, you know, famous people in World War II, yep. who sacrificed yep. themselves and was a big reason why uh, we were able to even last this long, for example. Right, but actually, there's so much more to this story, and I will give some credit where credit is due. Chinese Asia has done a really good documentary tracing uh, one of the key chapters in the story, and I'll talk a bit about that later on. So, if you if you want to check out, you know, that content, it's all going to be in the description. Go check it out. But Limbo saying is. Is one of those people that I feel like doesn't get as much attention as he does
1: yeah for sure he he reminds me of like what a good Star Wars character should be like, <laughs> which hasn't been around in a while but you know like part of the rebellion anti-Japanese force <laughs> he's fighting for people's liberties fighting you know, and for like, peace he's yeah he's going and he's willing to do what is needed right for the people yeah.
2: and we'll get to those very exciting parts of his story because trust me like all of us have had a glimpse of this man's life and what a life he has lived.
0: What a life. What a life. So for those who don't know, and maybe you didn't have a social studies background, in which case, is that a bad thing? Uh, (laughs) Limbo Singh was a prominent Hokkien businessman who undertook active leadership in anti-Japanese activities during World War II. He is recognized as a local war hero and is someone that is mentioned a lot in World War II. So today we're actually going to go underneath the layers and really understand who was this man what he did during World War II and actually what exactly were the sacrifices he made. And a lot of this is actually credit to the fact that he kept a journal. So, you know, a lot of the stories was because of his journal. So for those of you who think you're going to become big one day, you know, keep a journal because we may want to know.
2: Yeah, that's why I've started already, guys. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's why I don't bother. And that's why I don't bother. <laughs>
2: Alright, we'll get to those exciting stories in just a bit. But let's go all the way back to Little Limbo Seng. <laughs> now, Limbo Seng was the first son of contractor Lim Chi Gi, and he was born in a 99 room family housing complex in Fujian's Nan'an County in China. Shout out cuz like I also from Fujian, where well, my grandfather was, <laughs> so <laughs> tracing back to our roots, yo. And he was the 11th child, get this, but he was the very first son of the family.
0: Wow.
1: (laughs) Shout out to his parents. (laughs) They kept crying. They were like, we need that son. 10 is a lot, you know, 11 is a commitment. 11 is a commitment.
2: Now he came to Singapore from China at the age of 16 and he studied at Raffles Institution. He later enrolled in the University of Hong Kong, but he stopped his education there in 1929. And this was because he had inherited his father's business, being the only son of the family and all. And this included biscuit and brick manufacturing upon the father's death. So he was then nominated for and held several key positions in the community, including chairman of the Singapore Building Industry Association, board member of the Singapore Chinese Chamber of Commerce and Industry, and also the executive member and education director of the Singapore Hokkien Association. Now, in 1930, he married Gan Chu Niu, a straits born Chinese with whom he had eight children. Uh, sadly, one of them did die at an early age. But overall, he was a loving father. He took his children to High Street on weekends to read, buy them books and Ensign Bookshop before going to Polar Cafe, <laughs> OG, for cake and ice cream. So overall, he had a very uh, happy, fulfilling family life.
1: We're recording this at a great time because like... Yesterday was just Father's Day, guys, so oh, yeah. this, this feels on, on brand,
0: this feels on brand. For those who've listened to the Merchants episode, which you should definitely do, you would know that the fact that he held all these positions is a big deal, because in the 1930s, this was really what it meant to have stature in society, to be executive members of the Singapore Hokkien yeah. yeah. Association, to be part of of Chamber of Commerce. These are the big deal, high signature yeah, yeah. positions.
1: I think it will speak a lot to his character as we move into the war period, right? Because this is a man not only with stature, but has something to lose. So in the 1930s, Limbo Bo Seng, under the alias Tan Chun Lim, Participated in anti Japanese activities in Singapore, particularly in supporting the China Relief Fund. Upon the request of the then governor of Singapore, Shenton Thomas, Limbo Singh formed the Chinese Liaison Committee to assist in civil defense. Now, after the fall of Kota Baru in northern Malaya in December 1941, Limbo Singh, as head of labor services of the Overseas Chinese Mobilization Council, organized more than 10,000 men for the British government to man essential services and to construct defenses around the island. As Japanese troops began to approach Singapore from Johor, Lim and his team helped to blow up the causeway to impede the Japanese advance. So, Bro. This is a (laughs) big deal, man. This is like
0: one of the biggest episodes in the invasion of Singapore. And you have to remember, right, this was before the sense of nationhood, right? Lim was saying, for all sakes and purposes, still considered himself a Chinese immigrant to the country. Mm. But because he valued where he was, he felt like a sense of connection. Mm He was able to mobilize all these other people, basically all these other Chinese men.
2: To stand up against the
1: Japanese. Yeah, to defend the island. Yeah, exactly. He's a hands-on kind of dude. I mean, (laughs) we're not really describing what he's doing. Uh, He can mobilize men, but Limbo Singh was known to be a, like, I'll go there and do the stuff with the people kind of guy. Right. Yeah. So that's that's asking a lot. If I had like stature, I'm a coward, lah. You don't ask me to go and bomb bridges, bro. Like it's just it's just not my style, right? By the way, this earned them a reputation.
0: The Japanese at this point, knew of Limbo Singh was oh. because of the fact that
1: he helped to block the cause. Mm-hmm. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh! It actually affects it later on. Precisely because before we actually felt to the Japanese, he actually had to escape to India, leaving his seven children and wife. Where he was then joined by the British resistance group Force One Three Six, the famous Force One Three Six, and was trained by the British for intelligence work. Leaving, of course, you know, not a very easy decision for anyone, let alone Limbo Singh, who wrote in his war diary on February. 11th 1942 quote to leave the dear missus behind at the mercy of the enemy would go very hard against my own conscience oh my gosh i want to cry on the other hand to remain with the family in the event of enemy occupation would not in any way improve the situation but my presence may even make their lot very much harder wow the sacrifice if my dad said it to me right like it would change our relationship. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, would, it would fortify my relationship with my father so much more. And I still love my dad, but you know what I'm saying? Like this this is crazy. So Lim left soon after by sampan, out of all things, observing in his diary that the sky was lit up by the enemy fire in three directions. Panjang, Serangun, and Bukit Timah. By morning, Singapore was, quote, by him, enveloped, in a pall of smoke. How crazy is this story? I love that he just writes like a literary student, bro. Right, he... He goes out there and like bombs causeways. Like... (laughs) What a <laughs> champ, it. Yeah, this guy is a renaissance man. Uh.
2: It's good to engage in extracurricular activities, guys. No, sometimes you write, sometimes you bomb bridges. Like,
0: Still a poet, still a poet. And he was a family man at the end of the day. Still a family guy. Wow. <laughs>
2: what can this man not do? Not sell out Singapore, that's what. So Limbo
0: saying at this point, right, is really a model for what it means to put something bigger than themselves ahead of one's life, right? Because there was no reason for him to do any of this beyond the fact that he really believed it was important to protect the nation and protect the island as a backtrack and giving giving a bit more texture to this. Aside from protecting Malaya and and, and sort of the Singapore island, Singh at this point was also very involved in anti-Japanese activities back in China. For those who know sort of the bigger World War II context, before Japan had come down to Singapore, they were already invading parts of China. They were already sort of encroaching into China and causing a lot of ruckus there. And so Limba Singh had sort of this connection between, you know, I'm a Chinese immigrant, I care about what's happening back there. Let me do stuff to help out back there. And now knowing that the Japanese are coming here, I've got a whole ground mm-hmm. over there. He was basically in the mental mindset of this is wartime, I got to do whatever I can. So we'll find out a bit more about what he does once he's in India, once he's in force, once one thirty-six. You know, we talked a bit about the impact on children. Actually, Limbo Singh, seven children, had more children, and, and basically their grandchildren <laughs> are currently in probably their 50s, 60s in Singapore right now. And a lot of them, they followed in his path, because what else can you do when you have a grandfather like Limbo Singh? One of his grandsons is actually pretty well-known. His name is Lim tech Yin, and mm-hmm. he's also involved in public service. And that's actually the right cue for this time. Okay. I don't know if you guys know Lim Tech Yen, but Tech Yen followed in his father's footsteps. He's actually had a couple of roles, but I want you guys to guess in his current role, what notable position does he hold?
1: This is not very fair because I've actually met the man or rather I've, I've bumped into him. So, hey, Amyen, go take a guess. I'm
2: sorry, but I don't know this man. So uh... I guess the pop quiz was made for me. I'm going to say education. That's my guess just because I feel like Limbo Singh, having been such a loving father and was so hands-on in terms of like educating his family. and So maybe his grandchild was like, yo, granddad was so cool, taught my dad so much good stuff. Like, I think I want to educate the future generation of Singapore. So that's my guess.
0: So you think he's, he's a teacher?
2: No, like...
1: Working in MOE type. I met him at a sports event once. So I, I don't know what role he holds there, but I know he's part of Sports Singapore.
0: <laughs> That's how they introduced him. i reveal the results. All right. So Lim Limtec Yen is 59 years old. Ooh. He is a former Brigadier General in the military, but his current role is the Chief Executive Officer of Sports Singapore. Oh. Yeah, so this guy is actually uh, shaping some of the current sports scene. He was actually involved in a lot of competitive sports before the military. And in the SAF, he was in charge of a couple of different institutions, including Safti, which is you know the big military institute that trains SAF officers. So he's a he's a big deal in the Singapore scene. And if you go and Google Limbo Singh there's actually sort of a an article where it was an anniversary of the Limbo Singh Memorial. And Limitech kind of, you know, pays homage to Limbo Sanger.
1: That's nice. His,
0: his sort of worldview and stuff like that. So it really goes to show the decisions you make have a huge impact on future generations. Very cool. Very <laughs> cool. On that note, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back where we get really into the meat of what happens to Limbo Sanger and a pretty sad ending for him. So we'll be right back. It's crazy to think that we're in season five of the SG Explained podcast, and you, the listener, have been a great part of that experience. If you like what we've been doing over the last few seasons and you want to support some independent podcasters, here are three ways that you can do so. The first is to subscribe, and that's by just clicking the subscribe button or follow button on any of the platforms you're listening to us on. The second is to share. Share our content, our episodes with people that you think would enjoy learning about the Singapore identity and challenging some of the preconceived notions that they may have. and finally, directly support us by clicking on the anchor link in the description area where you can make a small contribution that helps us support some of the costs of producing these great podcasts. Thank you again for being part of the SGT Spring family, and we look forward to making many more great episodes for you. All right, and we're back from the break. so. Prior to the break, we talked about the fact that Limbo Singh had to leave Malaya to go to India. The British already realized that they were going to lose Malaya to the Japanese, and they wanted to reconvene somewhere else. And they did so in India. Now, if you guys have listened to the episode on Operation Tide Race, uh, this actually takes place right before Operation Tide Race. You know, If you want to connect some dots, go listen to Operation Types right after this. Force 136 was a special operations force formed both by the British and Chinese governments in June of 1942 to support resistance groups held behind enemy lines and to coordinate guerrilla operations in support of the planned British invasion of Malaya. And all of this was called Operation Gustavus. In 1943, Lim went to China to recruit men for Force 136. And according to historical sources, to avoid detection by the Japanese, what they did was they smuggled secret messages in empty tubes of toothpaste, salted fish, and even in the Force 136 members' own diaries. To avoid detection by the Japanese, Lim bo even pretended to be a businessman at checkpoints using the alias, uh, and we mentioned this alias before, Tan Chun Lim. So again you have to realize this is when the Japanese were already in territory they had controlled these territories and Lim went back to China knowing full well that the Japanese were looking for him because of the blowing up of the causeway under this alias to continue guerrilla operations how crazy is this guy this guy's got balls yeah
2: yeah
1: this guy this guy's a man this guy's a man
0: again it's it's really just something i i think you really need to know why you're doing it in order to be doing Mm. it. (laughs) With a group of fellow Force 136 members, Limbo-Seng also landed in Japanese-occupied Malaya later on by submarine and set up an intelligence network in the urban areas of Pankor, Lumut, Tapa, and Ipoh. And this intelligence network was known as Operation Zipper, which was aimed at recapturing Malaya with British support by 1945. Operation Zipper was the operation that never happened because the Japanese got bombed.
1: Yes, we did this in that in another episode as well.
2: Now, as with every story of a war hero, it always gets more exciting and more depressing when there is betrayal involved. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to make this so dramatic. So dramatic. <laughs> now, while in Ippo, Lim's whereabouts and espionage involvement were betrayed to the Japanese. Litec, one of Force 136 members, who was a triple agent between Force 136, the British and Japanese, get this, triple agent, yeah, betrayed Force 136 and Limbo Singh. He leaked out valuable information that allowed the Kempeitai to pick up coded messages from Force 136. And this led to the captures of many of the members in Force 136, including Limbo Singh himself. And on 27th of March, 1944, he was caught by the Japanese while fleeing. So despite undergoing torture at the hands of the Japanese, this man refused to reveal the names of fellow resistance group members. He would rather suffer under the hands of the Japanese than to betray his own comrades. I don't know any war terms, but that's the what we're going to go with today. Now, despite his own plight, he shared whatever food he had with fellow prisoners. And these were also the last people who witnessed his last days in prison. By that time, he had been reduced to a bag of bones. And it's such a sad state of a man to imagine, to be honest, because this man deserves so much more. He eventually did die of malnutrition, dysentery, and torture. And he died in Batu Gaja Jail, Perak, on 29 June 1944. Not to make this about me, but like. 29 June is my birthday, so it's oh, very no. depressing <laughs> to be saying this. And uh, he passed on in a tattered blanket. He was taken away in a wooden cart and buried in a mass grave near the prison ground. So at this point, uh, he wasn't returned to his family. He was simply buried there. And in Singapore, the Japanese who were baying for blood were successful in hunting down and killing eight of Lim's relatives living at 855 Serangoon Road. It's a compound comprising of three houses built by Lim Lo. Here's the silver lining though, Lim's wife managed to outwit them, moving their entire family from one hideout to another. And at one point, she even sought refuge at St. John's Island. After the war, Lim's remains were disinterred from the jail in December 1945, brought back by his wife, and reburied in Singapore on 13 January 1946 on a hill overlooking MacRitchie Reservoir. In February 1946, the Chinese nationalist government posthumously awarded him the rank of major general. <sighs> <sighs> Let's <take> a second moment
1: <laughs> to let that sink in. We will, we will. And just thinking about his story, I, I mean, I'm definitely glad that uh, in 1946, the Limbo Sing Memorial Committee, which included representatives from the Chinese nationalist government, was actually established to raise funds for the construction of a public memorial. Dedicated to him, like that. That's the least that we could have done. Now, honestly, it's it's hard because you know a lot of the times when we listen to war stories, you don't really want to valorize war by it as itself, right? But you want to valorize morals and ideals and things that people hold true to themselves, like protecting their families, fighting for what they believed in, and of course, like the fact that they were protecting their comrades to the very bitter end. Mm. That's something which, if people you know don't like the notion of war. At the very least, you can look at someone and say that was a, a human who lived his life, you know, the way he wanted to. And with all the integrity uh, that you could ever ask of a person. Mm-hmm. Uh, the colonial government rejected the committee's proposal to build a Memorial Park around his grave, but granted permission for a memorial to be built at the Esplanade. It is the only World War II memorial in Singapore dedicated to a single individual.
0: Do you guys know where this memorial is? Have you seen it before? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's opposite Fullerton Hotel, oh. the Asian Civilization
1: Museum. Mm-hmm. The British Commissioner General for Southeast Asia at the time, we've mentioned him before, Malcolm MacDonald, uh, laid the foundation stone for the structure on 3rd November, 1953. And the completed memorial was actually unveiled on 29th June, 1954, a year later, uh, by Charles Lowen, the then Commander-in-Chief of the Far East Land Forces. Designed by Ng King Xiang, the memorial occupies a site measuring hundred feet by 80 feet. So it's like a 30 meter by 24 meter sort of like land space, uh, which was donated by the government. The construction cost of $50,000 was funded by donations from the Chinese community, who I'm very sure, you know, they hold a very beloved place uh, in their hearts. Uh, and the memorial takes the form of a 3.6 meter high octagonal pagoda made of bronze, concrete, and marble. A bronze three tier roof caps this pagoda while four bronze lions stand guard at the base. There are four bronze plaques uh, placed around the pagoda, uh, giving an account of Lim's life in full English, Chinese, Tamil, and Jawi, which is uh, a Malay dialect. And on 28th December 2010, the Limbo Singh Memorial was gazetted as a national monument. The company took us a while, but 2010 isn't that that long ago, right? 12 years back. But I'm glad it's now protected as a national monument. I know we had a lot of good laughs along the way, but man, what a full circle story uh, to commemorate an individual such as Limbo Singh.
0: Yeah. When I put together this story, I was just thinking about how how this shapes sort of our narrative, what it, what it means to be in Singapore, to live for Singapore. And I guess especially with, unfortunately, stuff that's happening in Ukraine and Russia mm-hmm. and other parts of the world. You know, it's not that I'm saying that Singapore needs to rise up and call arms, but would we, right, if push came to shove? And I love doing these history episodes and military episodes only because at the end of the day, it's never about someone in power being very smart with the strategy or about big tanks and big weapons, because those, those do shape sort of the terrain of war. But it is these people. It is it's people who chose to put their lives on the line, who chose to really stand up for their family stand up for their comrades and to do the right thing and i think limbo thing story is just it needs to be told more, right because this guy did so much and he really sends a very strong signal of what it means to live uh for others. so mm. yeah it's a, it's probably a good story for this time uh that we're living in as well
2: i think it really brings into perspective though because so many of us like we read about history of singapore but we've never well fortunately we've never had to go through it so then it makes you wonder like independence was so hard to come by at one point but now it's truly because of our founding fathers that we get to enjoy you know the privilege of of peace of safety right and the whole time i was also just thinking about the wife lah you know Fucking heartbroken already, right? And then she had to take the seven children and run yeah. from one item to another. She's like, no, my husband fought hard and I will fight even harder for our family. So I was like, Yes, this is the kind of woman that I want to
0: be. The <laughs> wife needs credit. The wife needs credit yes. for being so you know, strong throughout all of this and taking care of the kids and, and, and well, you know, knowing that the Japanese are out to get your family, right?
1: Another great episode to kind of like ponder on as we go into the week. Thanks so much for sticking with us throughout this entire episode. We hope you learned something. We definitely felt something. And we'll see you in the next one. Bye!